0: So, the auction was programmed for a day which we knew about, we we're working towards, but I didn't book the day off or the time off or even a slot to be able to watch the auction. I let my calendar go as normal. So, the auction happened while we were at work and doing other things.
1: You're listening to Expat Property Story, a podcast in which I share my story to smooth the way for you to have your own. Expat Property Story. Hello there. Episode 41 is the 7th of Season 2, the auction series, in which I have challenged myself to buy a UK property at auction, remotely from here in Hong Kong, without setting foot in the UK. If you've listened to this podcast before, welcome back, and if you're a new listener, come on in and make yourself comfortable. Later, we'll be hearing from David and Leanne, an expat couple from the Middle East who you just heard at the top of the show. They had everything in place in preparation for a successful first auction purchase. But on the day, distracted by the day job, they forgot to bid. Find out what happened later in the show. And who knows, perhaps you'll be inspired by their story and look to have your own. Expat Auction Story. Previously on Expat Auction Story. Last week's episode began with doom and gloom as I struggled to find a good deal. After trawling through the auction catalogues, I thought I'd found a suitable property to add to mine and my wife's portfolio. We'd been looking for a freehold property that had already been converted into flats, the idea being that we could sell one or two to pay for the third, thereby adding to our monthly cash flow without eating too far into our pot of cash. As we try to replace our income, ahead of our return to the UK in a few years' time. But after running through the numbers, we not only found that the return on cash employed, or ROCE, was negligible to say the least, but that it would reduce our pot significantly. The deal may suit someone flipping or holding out for capital growth, but we need cash flow, and we need it fast. We weren't the only ones finding it difficult to find a deal in the auctions. Some of my groupmates in the Auction Buyers Club a community of investors looking to buy UK property at auction, were also struggling to find deals that stacked, as was one of last week's guests, Matt Brighton, who helped me end the episode on a positive note as he pointed out that learning to walk away from a bad deal is always better than doing a deal for the sake of doing a deal. And the positivity continues this week as we hear from an expat couple from the Middle East who are living proof that it is possible to buy properties at auction from abroad. So if you're an expat thinking of sourcing your own property via auction, stay where you are. We'll be off to Abu Dhabi later in the show. After walking away from the three-storey Bristol townhouse featured in episode 40 last week, I stayed in Bristol, although not physically, of course, to look at a mixed-use building consisting of a salon on the ground floor with a substantial 100-metre square maisonette above, which offered nice views of the park opposite. From the title plan in the legal pack, it seemed that there might be potential to extend the ground floor, which, according to the marketing for the property, was also something that interested the commercial tenants who had been holding over upon expiry of their nine-year lease which had been granted in the year 2000. So it seemed to me that there were several options here. One was to retain the commercial tenants while applying for planning permission to extend the ground floor and potentially convert to residential. Another was to sell off the maisonette using the profit as my deposit for the commercial element downstairs at the refinancing stage, effectively giving me a cash-flowing asset at minimal cost. The residential tenants were due to move out imminently, and my research had led me to believe that I should be able to achieve a rental income of at least £18,000 per year for the flat. The salon was bringing in just over £10,000, so the total income for this mixed-use building would be £28,000 a year. The guide price was £350,000, which meant that the reserve would be around 380000 Dividing the rental income by the price gives you the rental yield percentage, and obviously the higher the percentage, the better the deal. So after dividing the rental income of 28000 by the likely reserve price of 380000 I calculated the yield to be around 7.4%, which wasn't amazing, but wasn't bad. However, there were drawbacks. One of the many great things about the Auction Buyers Club is that there is usually a mortgage expert on hand to answer any questions members may have from a financing perspective, and he pointed out a flaw in one of my options. I'm sure you know the difficulties involved in getting a residential mortgage on a property above a restaurant or a takeaway or anything that represents a fire hazard. Although interestingly enough, you have more chance if there's at least one other property between your flat and the fire hazard, the logic being that the fire service have more time to save your apartment as it burns through the ones below. But what I didn't know was that salons and nail bars, which are fairly common commercial tenants these days given that they are what are sometimes known as Amazon-proof businesses, are also potential fire hazards which will scare off residential lenders. So if I wanted to sell the flat... I would have to sell it at a discount due to its restricted mortgage ability and it would also be expensive to hold as I would need a semi-commercial mortgage which are more expensive as lenders see them as more risky. There were other complications with this property relating to the legal pack which was messy to say the least. What appeared to be the title plan, which is the document that shows the boundaries of the property, related to the commercial lease as opposed to the freehold and the actual title plan relating to the freehold, i.e. the property as a whole, was missing from the legal pack, and the auction was due to take place in just a week's time. So it wasn't completely clear whether it was just the commercial portion for sale or the building as a whole. Furthermore, the tenancy agreement for the flat was due to expire between exchange of contracts and completion, and yet the property was being sold with vacant possession, which was unusually risky from the vendor's perspective, because if the tenants didn't move on, the seller would be in breach of contract. If this deal had more potential to achieve our overall objective of delivering a decent cash flow while not eating too much into our funds, it may well have been worth clarifying these issues with the auctioneer. But the bottom line was, well, the bottom line, it was too expensive for what it was. I was now exactly halfway through my auction challenge and although I'd learned a lot, including when to walk away, the fact remained that I still hadn't bought a property at auction. What I needed was some positivity, some encouragement, some evidence that it is possible to buy a UK property at auction from the other side of the world. I found it in the Middle East. We're an expat husband and wife team living in Abu Dhabi.
0: I'm from Liverpool.
2: I'm from Birmingham.
0: And we're building our portfolio in both cities
1: while we're here. David and his wife Leanne met in London, and after they got married, they moved to the Middle East where they have been living for nearly nine years. One day they plan to move back to the UK with their two children and have been building a portfolio of single buy-to-lets. I asked Leanne about their portfolio. We've
2: got three properties personally between us and two properties within our limited company. We've got two in Birmingham and three in Liverpool.
1: I asked David what attracted them to buying properties at auction.
0: I think auction's presented a finite timescale so if you're looking at other means a number of different variables come into it and whereas with auctions you can work to a target for me and my mindset so I'm an engineer my background and professional qualification and uh, work on various different types of projects so we're like, fixed targets, goals, things that you're working around and you you deal with things around that. So that works quite well for me as a mindset. And so that's one of the benefits. And, you know, you're working to that date uh, when the auction is going to happen or whether you try and do something before, during or after. You've got that pivot point of of the date.
1: David and Leanne had a very fixed idea of what they wanted to buy.
2: Part of our strategy was actually to target auction properties that were within our criteria arrange viewings of those properties and perhaps make an offer before the auction in the event that that offer would be accepted. And similarly, after the auction, if the property wouldn't sell, we would be ready to make an offer because we had already done a viewing. Any viewings we did and an offer we made was not accepted before the auction. We would then just proceed with the auction and see if it's something that we could pick up during the auction.
1: One of the themes to emerge from this podcast has been the need for expats to have boots on the ground in their chosen area, whether that be UK property partners in my case or friends and family in David's case. We'll be back with the podcast in a second, but I just wanted to let you know that we help high net worth individuals who perhaps don't have the time, expertise or contacts to find deals that stack right now. We can offer fixed rate returns of up to 12%, so instead of watching your savings get swallowed by inflation, why not schedule a free call via the link in the show notes to see how we might work together. Now, back to the pod.
0: I'm from Liverpool, so I know most of Liverpool pretty well. It's been a while since I've lived there, but I've got friends that I grew up with and uh, went to school with and what have you. So you can always get the latest up-to-date research on a particular area um, and down to the streets as well, which is a, a big bonus for us. We've got several target areas within Liverpool, so we had the area. We knew the kind of criteria of tenant profile that we'd get. We had figures for the rental income that we thought we'd get and we worked on for our deal analysis and had the pricing that we were willing to pay.
1: David and Leanne have so far bought two properties at auction.
0: The first one was a three-bed terraced property in Liverpool. It needed quite a bit of work doing to it. So BRR is our main strategy and focus. We knew the area. We've got a process for, for doing viewings remotely with a group of trusted people that we know. We did that, had the feedback. We did ideal analysis. We knew what we wanted to go in at for the auction. There were things that we didn't know that we learned around. So some of the fees, even though you read <laughs> the legal pack and all of the auction terms and conditions, and you think you factored everything in and then things come up. So yeah, I mean, that was a, a learning curve for us, but it wasn't a painful learning curve and that worked quite
1: well. Buying pre or post auction is something that most of my guests have mentioned as potentially preferable to buying live. But David and Leanne arrived at this strategy by accident.
0: So the auction was programmed for a day which we knew about we were working towards, but I didn't book the, the day off or the time off or even a slot to be able to watch the auction. I let my calendar go as normal. So the auction happened while we are at work and doing other things.
1: David got distracted at work and forgot to bid.
0: Fortunately for us, it turned out that it didn't sell in the main auction.
1: But you planned to bid on it at auction, did you? Yes. The next day, the auctioneer phoned them up and they managed to secure the property post-auction. Do you think you ended up with a cheaper price in the end than if you'd have bid at the auction?
0: Yeah, yeah. So it worked out in our favour, certainly, or we basically made the most of the the circumstance of, uh, of however it was. It would have been easy to have said, well, I've missed my slot, so I'll forget about it now and, and get on with the rest of my day. Uh, and when uh, the calls came in, we took the opportunity to have the discussion and look at our deal sheets. Um, and we actually made an offer. As it turned out, that sealed the deal.
2: I think what helped as well is the fact that we had, um, when we did the viewing before the auction, they knew our circumstances, they knew our situation, they knew we were ready to move quickly. We had the finances all locked in. For them, they wanted buyers that were going to be able to move quite quickly and we were in that position. So, you know, we tried to strategically ensure that, you know, when we speak to auctioneers, that they are fully aware of our situation, that we're ready to move quickly.
1: How do you mean move quickly? Are you just buying with cash?
2: There was no mortgage. We didn't need any finance. We had the cash ready and we'd already registered with the auction. The auction. The proof of funds. So, we'd, yeah, we, they'd had our ID documents. They'd seen our bank statements. They had all the, the proof of funds. That was already done.
1: Did you promise them an earlier completion date? We didn't. We stuck to the auction conditions. Did you send the legal pack to anyone to look over to a solicitor before you purchased? We did. The
0: solicitor reviewed three or four legal packs for us for the other properties we're looking at in that auction. He is very good, uh, actually, and very flexible at that front end. So we pretty much use him for everything that we do, uh, including remortgages as well.
1: You said that you sent him four legal packs from the same auction, was it? Yeah. So those four properties, do you mind me asking how much you paid the solicitor to review the legal packs for four properties? Did he give you like a group discount? It was zero. Is he a friend? He is now. <laughs> he is now? What what did you do? What have you kidnapped his kids? What have you done?
0: <laughs> See that's why you're from London and I'm from Liverpool. <laughs> we just had a conversation on the phone.
1: So he reviewed he reviewed four legal packs for you and didn't charge you anything? Yeah. On the understanding, obviously, that he would get the conveyancing work. Yeah. 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 Okay. I don't think I've met a solicitor like that. I wouldn't mind being in touch with your solicitor. <laughs> no. Was it just like a once-over kind of look? He didn't really go into that much detail then? No, no he gave us feedback.
0: I mean, I don't think he spent like two days on each one. The feedback he gave us wasn't doing the, the same review that I would do or you would do. Or you look at the land registry, you look at the conditions, you look for anything that has says covenant or some of those trigger words that, that we know from the layman's understanding. There's a number of things where he'd say, this is in there. Actually, this isn't actually going to be a problem. This is mentioned. um, So let's take out some insurance against that um, if you're you're successful. The ones he's looked at, he said, yeah, that's all straightforward. There's no reason why you shouldn't bid for this property.
1: And his fees are competitive or is he charging a lot afterwards and that's why you're getting that kind of treatment?
0: His fees are competitive. They're not the lowest we can probably get. We're very happy with his fees. I would say the value embedded in what he does, um, it, it's really good.
2: The other thing is, I mean, we've had a brief conversation with him with regards to our plans. You know, there are more purchases that we want to make. So he's going to be our go-to solicitor for all of them.
1: How much notice did you give him? There are times, actually, I should say, where he's just gone completely silent,
0: not in the middle of a purchase or anything like that, but it might just be, oh, I'm thinking of doing this, what do you think? And it'll be just complete radio silence. But if we send him a document, he will respond. Yeah. And typically, we try and do this two or three weeks out from the auction. And it depends when the legal packs come out as well, because sometimes, as you know, in an auction, the legal packs come out like two days before the auction, which I have no idea why that happens when... There's other properties, other lots in the auction where the legal packs are there from day one. So it's as and when uh, we get it to him. And if I say to him, the auction's going to be in two days, he'll respond to us before the auction. If I just send it to him randomly, it's usually around about a week or so um, he'll get back to you.
1: I asked David and Leanne what due diligence they did ahead of the auction.
0: We had the viewing by our team on the ground and our viewings aren't go and see the property and take pictures and tell me a few things. There's quite a detailed checklist and, and form that we, we do. The people who are doing the viewings are the people that will talk to people in and around the area. So we understood a lot more about why the property was up for auction, uh, some mm. of the, the recent history, which tells you how motivated the seller might be or what other people would see when they go to view the property. And then when it went to legal, we're looking for any any showstoppers with that particular property. Not just that's going to slow the process of buying a property, but afterwards that you'd have any legacy issues.
1: What do you mean by legacy issues? Do you mean other people getting lending on that property? Yeah, because what we want to do is have multiple routes of exit. So if for
0: any reason we decide to sell our properties, we want to be able to make sure we're not in a motivated seller position.
1: Why do you think you were successful with that particular purchase, that first one?
0: I think there's an element of luck there where my belief is luck is opportunity meeting preparation.
1: I kind of meant that particular property. Why did no one else buy it?
0: I think there were probably other lots that were more attractive in the auction is is one thing.
1: They also believe that other investors were put off by the fact that the property needed a lot of work doing to it. I was going to ask you about that because from what I've seen in my limited experience, the project type properties that come up in auction are being snapped up. The theory goes that lots of people have watched Homes Under the Hammer and they all want a project and they're overpaying.
0: I don't really follow that same way of thinking. Homes Under the Hammer has been going for years. So I think that phenomenon, if it was going to be an issue, would have been there well before. I think the time that people have had on their hands to, to look and just things like, like you're doing, podcasts, maybe a percentage of people that have stumbled across your podcast. BRI has talked about on every property podcast you can imagine. I listen to a BBC Money podcast or This Is Money podcast. They spend a lot of time on energy bills and ICES and all that. And they sometimes talk about BRR, the concept of buying a fixer-upper, do it up. My dad knows tradesmen or my dad's a tradesman or my uncle or this and and we can do that or i talked to this person and that's what they're doing or they left uni and they were doing this with uh, with that person so i'm gonna gonna give that a go we've heard more and more of that over the last 12 to 18 months so it's no longer and it hasn't been for probably about 12 18 months within the, the property community it's getting more and more into the mainstream I mean, I talk to people at work sometimes about what they're up to and they'll talk about different property strategies and they're from different parts of the world. So I think that awareness around the benefits of property investing uh, has grown significantly in the last 12 to 18 months. That's been a factor in the growth of people snapping property up at auctions. I also think there's been a lot more foreign investment coming into into the uk to think of the instability in different parts of the world people have wanted to move money in the uk is a great place to do that and looking all around all of a sudden it's a case of, "Well, do you realize you can get a property for x amount in some instances i think we've seen properties at other auctions that needed significantly more work than that one go for a much higher price and we've looked at it and gone what so
1: the the short answer is i don't know are you only looking in auctions or do you have other means of finding properties
2: no no we're not only looking at auction we are continuing our strategy of reviewing properties arranging viewings ensuring that we do our deal analysis and making offers so we will continue to do that we're not focusing specifically on auction properties
0: we also have a couple of sources that work in the area uh, that we are and they've brought some some ideal opportunities to us that we've looked at we're also just Recently, talking to an agent that was looking after one of our properties about, well, are you aware of anything? And he actually mentioned some tired landlords and they're looking to slowly release some of them. So we said, well, if we can uh, have a look, please let us know. So it's just building that network.
1: So, of those three different ways of sourcing property, sources, off market deals through agents and auctions, which one do you prefer?
2: So far, merely from the results. The auctions have been more successful for us.
0: I think with the, the auctions, what it has done is given us a time frame where you can't over and too much. You've got to do that beforehand, and then that's it. Or it's going the boat's going to sail. A couple of the things we've seen with the sourcing have been the numbers don't stack up. Our preference is if we can get that off market deal from the letting agent we've been working with. He'd get the benefit by looking after one of his other clients that he's had for a long period of time. And we'd get a benefit as well. And that client would get a benefit with our morals and value system, that kind of win-win-win, which is what how life should be. And also for the tenants who'd move into those properties or who are in those properties, they get a win as well because so they either get consistency or they get a good quality home. So that would be our preferred. So we'll be watching that one closely and putting some effort into making something work there over the next few months
1: and how about the second property that you bought was it pre-auction post-auction during the auction
0: that was during yeah that was um, a classic me moment same thing again knew the auction date instead of taking the day off on leave i was working and in between meetings uh, running to
1: find you to say
2: what did we say we're gonna bid for this one <laughs> yeah
1: <laughs> did you forget your target figure
2: it can happen
1: I I did, yeah. Uh, yeah. So what happened?
2: I think the excitement and adrenaline kicked in. There was the temptation to go higher than we had agreed on. But actually, the way the auction worked is we put a bid in, but not until it got towards the end of the auction. So it just had a specific time period in which you can place a bid and it will state whether you are the highest bidder. And it also states how much time remains before the auction will close. So we actually waited rather than Putting lots of bids in. We waited towards the end. I think it was the last hour, but we discussed what the maximum was going to be. So we wanted to be in a position where we were going to be the highest. And actually, within that last hour, it was a few thousand below what our maximum was going to be. There was the temptation. To put that maximum in as a bid by somebody, just to make sure we secured the purchase, but yeah. we resisted, didn't we? We you we
1: resisted agreed and...
2: halfway, and actually we were successful with the auction. So,
1: why do you think? that that would secure it by putting in your maximum bid early?
0: I didn't. Um, So I think the um, adrenaline, knowing our personalities, um, where our strengths are, and the format of the auction really helps because you're able to be a bit more calculating about it beforehand to say, and one of the things we discussed was, let's see where it's at with two or three hours to go. That way you're not emotionally invested from a day before. I'm a type where once I've put something in the game, I'm committed Same thing if I'm in a project with people and playing sports or trying to achieve something together. I'm fully committed and we're going to try and make this work and get it over the line which is a, a horrible thing for something like an auction because that is really
1: dangerous mike stenhouse said a few weeks ago he knows himself so he won't buy during the auction because he's aware that he can get quite competitive and he doesn't want to necessarily win he wants to buy a good property sounds to me like your wife should possibly be in charge of the mouse during the auction <laughs> my wife is in charge of everything sometimes you misbehave then
2: <laughs> yeah
0: yeah i often say to myself well it's an absolute yes for me and i will speak to my wife so it's a good point you raise, and knowing yourself is so important it's so so important and there are times when if you take for example the period to complete or if you've got a target to finish the refer part of your brr where that mentality and that approach is very useful because we've got to try and make things work within that time frame so an obstacle happens of oh, the chippy can't come now for another four weeks, even though we booked this in two weeks ago. It's a case of it is what it is. Yeah, I'll try and change his mind, but I'm actually going to be finding somebody else. What about this option? Who can I call? How do I make this work? How am I overcoming this? That kicks in and that's great. In an auction situation, it's very much the
1: the opposite. Three things stood out for me from today's episode. To start with, it's really important to be organised and have a process in place when preparing for auction. David and Leanne not only know their target areas but also have people on the ground ready to view individual lots for them along with a checklist of what to find out. They also have a long-term solicitor with whom they have built up such a good relationship that he will look at the legal packs for several potential properties without charging a fee purely on the understanding that they will instruct him to take care of all their conveyancing work in the future. Secondly, if you're working as a partnership at auction, or in all scenarios for that matter, it's probably a good idea to have clearly defined roles about who is doing what. And if one member of your team is likely to be more self-disciplined in the heat of the moment, then that person should probably take care of the bidding. Finally, as part of their due diligence, David and Leanne make sure to check that there are no problems connected to a property that will affect their ability to sell it on the open market at any point in the future. Now this podcast is still a baby at seven months old, but it's growing fast. So thanks to everyone for helping to spread the word. We're now up to 97 countries, but it's been taking an agonizingly long time to make those last few countries to 100. So if you know an expat property investor in a different country, make me happy and ask them to listen to an episode. And let's see if we can make it to 100. Back in the days before COVID, when us Hong Kong expats were able to travel freely wherever we wanted to go without fear of long quarantine stays in hotels, my wife and I would often drive through France in summer and every time we saw a British number plate, we would shout Brits abroad to entertain our young daughter. And that was the first thing that came into my mind when I saw that we have a listener in Brits, which in case you haven't worked out by now, is abroad. In fact, it's in Pretoria, South Africa. And while digging a little deeper into this fertile, citrus, vegetable and grain producing area that is irrigated by the waters of the Heartbeat Sport Dam in northwest province of South Africa, I discovered that Brits is also the birthplace of the first cloned animal in Africa, which was a cow. So if you're our Brit Abroad from Brits, why not get in touch with other Brits Abroad and tell them about the podcast, which may help bridge those final three countries to 100. That's all for this episode. So thanks to David and Leanne from Abu Dhabi, not just for contributing to this week's show, but for giving me hope that it is possible to find a UK property deal at auction from the other side of the world. I now have just over two months left to complete my expat property auction challenge. Keep tuning in to see what happens. I received an amazing review last week, which you can see on the podcast website www.expatpropertystory.com. And while you're there, why not rate, review, and follow the show yourself if you haven't already done so? And of course, share the show to spread the word. You've been listening to Expat Auction Story.